This series contains adult language and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to The Devil Within. I'm your host, Brandon Morgan. So as we close the book on a season in hell and transition into our weekly content, I wanted to stay in the realm of the satanic panic for a little while. I'll be offering a series of episodes that stay in the era that's been established over our previous three seasons, the mid-1970s to the late 1980s, primarily in the northeastern United States. Now, yes, season two took us across the pond to Yorkshire, England, and we'll definitely be spending some time in the UK and across Europe as the weeks go by. But for now, we'll be focusing on the northeastern United States, except for today. Today, we're going to cover something that I'm sure you've all heard about, and for you Gen Xers out there, maybe this was a bigger part of your teen years as it was mine. And I'll read the last verse for you because it's very interesting. It says, And as we wind on down the road, our shadows taller than our soul, there walks a lady we all know who shines white light and wants to show how everything still turns to gold. And if you listen very hard, the tune will come to you at last when all are one and one is all to be a rock and not to roll. You listen to the tune. All right. Now you you're going to hard. play this backwards. Right. To get critics, even you know, or the skeptics, to show them what I'm going to do, I've actually taken the exact piece of tape that you just heard it off of, and I've reverse thread the machine, and I'm going to play that exact piece of tape backwards now. Okay. okay? Just Proof to that you've not doctored it. I have it not in any doctored way. it in any way. All right. Let's let's go ahead and start. something there all right listen for I live with Satan exactly you might want to turn it up just a little out here on the floor I live with Satan listen again that's right hidden satanic messages in our favorite rock songs you just had to be able to play them in reverse now, playing songs backwards was much easier for teens of the 70s when everyone still had record players. But for cassette-era kids like me, it wasn't ever a thing that I even thought of doing. Until I was told not to do it. Then, of course, we all had to figure out a way. Isn't that how it goes? Nothing even enters the minds of someone until they're explicitly forbidden from doing it. That should be a lesson for all of us. So technically, it's called backmasking. Simply put, backmasking is the process of recording a message backwards onto a music track that's meant to be listened to forward. In the late 50s, there was a band called The Eligibles. They released a song called Car Trouble that's believed to contain the first backmasked messages in a hit song. When you listen to it, there are two sections that sound like complete nonsense. Because played forward, it is complete nonsense. However, when you spin the record in reverse, you hear two comical exultations. One about getting the singer's daughter home at a reasonable hour. And the second? Stop listening to this record backwards. Fast forward a decade. And, as it usually goes, the Beatles did it better. 
Yes, there was music before the Beatles, but they just did it better. And yes, there was backmasking before the Beatles. But again, they made it creepy, mystical, and legendary. Allegedly. A little backstory is necessary here for those unaware. In 1969, a rumor began on an Iowa college campus that Paul McCartney had died in a car accident in November of 1966. The story goes that he had gotten into an argument with the rest of the band and left the studio in an agitated state. Distracted by his rage, he ran a red light, caused a terrible accident, and was killed. The Beatles were the biggest stars in the universe at the time, and fearing a global bout of severe depression, the British government stepped in and found an orphan from Scotland named William Campbell that bore a striking resemblance to Paul. He had, in fact, recently won a Paul McCartney lookalike contest. The band, in their grief, and for the good of the world, went along with it and trained William in the ways of McCartney, and the band didn't miss a beat. But, as grief gave way to guilt, the rest of the band felt the need to leave cleverly hidden clues throughout their next several albums, both in lyrics and artwork, to let their fans know that Paul was indeed dead. And also that they were very sorry for deceiving them. But, you know, money and stuff. Some of the more popular alleged clues consist of Paul being the only member of the band not facing the camera on the back cover of the Sgt. Pepper's album, or the so-called funeral procession cover of the Abbey Road album. The funeral procession consisted of John Lennon in white, representing the Heavenly Father, Ringo in black, symbolizing the Undertaker, George in denim as the working-class gravedigger, and Paul, out of step with the others and barefoot, representing the corpse. Also, Paul was famously left-handed, and in that picture he's holding a cigarette in his right hand. Major clue. Anyway, all this came to a head in 1969 when Tim Harper, editor of the student newspaper at Drake University in Des Moines, happened to listen to the Beatles track Revolution 9 backwards. Revolution 9 is a strange collage kind of assortment of sounds from 1968's The White Album. On the track, the phrase number nine is repeated over and over. And when played backwards, well, what do you think? Number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. Supposedly, we're hearing, turn me on, dead man, over and over again. Now, that is supposed to be conclusive proof that Paul actually died in that car accident. And this is John asking his late friend for musical inspiration from beyond the grave. I don't know. I guess it's up to uh, each of us to decide for ourselves. But it's a very interesting story and just further cements the legendary status of the Beatles. Another very popular, but still not satanic, example of alleged backmasking concerns something almost as bad as Satanism, at least in the consciousness of 1980s culture. Smoking weed. 
It's a song from the massively popular English band Queen. In 1980, Queen released the album The Game. It was their eighth studio album and would reach number one on both the U.S. and British charts and go quadruple platinum in the States. Even with major hits like Crazy Little Thing Called Love and Don't Try Suicide, the actual smash single from the game was a bass-driven, hard-hitting vocal tornado called Another One Bites the Dust. It was this track that re-established Queen as the rock gods that they were after a string of records that received lukewarm reception. The song was so popular, in fact, that people spun the record backwards, and many claim to have heard a curious message in the repeated chorus. Yeah, that's Freddie Mercury, supposedly telling his legion of fans that it is, in fact, fun to smoke marijuana. Well, this simply would not stand, at least not where the PMRC was concerned. Founded in the 1980s as a response to the ever-growing fear of American children being brainwashed by rock music, the Parents Music Resource Center, the PMRC, set out to save us all. They gave us the filthy 15, they gave Christians more things to be scared of, and their biggest win of all, they gave us the parental advisory sticker that was on any record, cassette tape, or CD that contained lyrics that were sexually suggestive, contained satanic messaging, or were potentially evocative of violence. I'm a kid who spent a lot of time in different malls in the 80s, which meant that on the way to the arcade, after the compulsory stop in Spencer Gifts to browse through the posters, I would check in at what could be considered the online chat rooms of the day. The record stores. Places like Sam Goody was where you could see your friends, be nervous around girls, get suspected of shoplifting, all the stuff 80s kids lived for. And the plain fact was that anything that had that parental advisory sticker meant that we had to listen to whatever was inside. Another example of stuff that we probably wouldn't have even thought about until we were told not to think about it. So, was Freddie really telling us to get high? It's a good question. And it probably has a pretty simple answer. Pareidolia is the human tendency to see patterns or to make sense out of nebulous things in order to keep us basically from going crazy. It's an evolutionary response designed to keep us alive. And it does that by allowing our brain to detect patterns. Specifically patterns of things that are dangerous to us so we can run away. Is that an outline of a dangerous tiger in the tall grass? Wow, I better run. But over the millennia, as the number of things that are potentially life-threatening to humans decreases, our ability to detect patterns hasn't diminished. We just find them in other areas. There are tons of simple everyday instances. 
seeing a face in a wall socket or an elephant in a cloud formation. Then there are serious ones, like religious zealots who see the Virgin Mary in a grilled cheese sandwich and prepare for the second coming. But pareidolia also has auditory examples, again, born from our need to make sense out of an insensible world, or to hear, through repeated suggestion, that Freddie Mercury wants you to do a bong rip. Are we hearing it because we want to hear it? Or are we hearing it because what we're actually hearing is gibberish and our brains simply won't allow for that? Then there's the idea of phonetic reversal, which is what it sounds like. Take a sound or a series of sounds and reverse them. If the sound is the same backwards and forward, it's called a phonetic palindrome. The word mom will sound basically the same backwards and forwards. But the longer the phrase, the weirder it will sound. And if you're actually trying to make something sound coherent in reverse, while also having something sound coherent and completely different when played normally, that's some Da Vinci-level stuff that seems almost impossible. I would bet that most New Year's resolutions include at least one of the following. Work out more and eat better. Am I right? Well, hitting the gym is up to you, but eating right is up to Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes all the stress out of meal planning, which sets you up for success. And you can tailor your meals to any diet you might be considering. Going keto? No problem. Counting calories? Done. Making the leap into vegan? Factor has you covered. No grocery shopping, no meal prep, no cooking, no mess. All that equals more time for you. It's less expensive and way more delicious than takeout. Plus, Factor offers way more than ready-to-eat meals. They have cold-pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, veggie sides, anything I can think of to keep me energized throughout the week. And I never have to worry about getting bored with my food choices. I'm able to change my orders every week. I can pause if I'm going out of town and reschedule for when I get back. Oh, and Factor also offers snack options and breakfast now. So what are you waiting for? Oh, right. The promo code. Head to factormeals.com slash devilwithin50 and use code devilwithin50 to get 50% off. That's code devilwithin50 at factormeals.com slash devilwithin50. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But let's get to the tunes that drove parents crazy and convinced the church that Satan was on the verge of taking over. In December of 1976, the Eagles released their fifth studio album, Hotel California. It would go on to be one of the best-selling albums of all time, going 26 times platinum in the U.S. and selling over 32 million worldwide. With today's methods of music consumption, Spotify, YouTube, Vimeo, you know, all the streaming stuff, it's tough to quantify the exact reach of the songs on the record, but it's easily in the billions. 
The record's success included three hit singles, the title track, Hotel California, as well as New Kid in Town and Life in the Fast Lane. It also included some fan favorites, if not hit singles, like the ballads Wasted Time and The Last Resort. The primary lyricist for these songs was none other than legendary rocker Don Henley, who also sang lead vocals on many of the tracks on the album. Henley's main inspiration was simply the word California. He was intrigued by the immediate and widely varying imagery that came to mind at the mere mention of the word. The loss of innocence, the perils of fame, the dark side of the American dream, the mystique of the desert, and for many, the fabled promised land. He claimed it was a concept album, not going for the quote, cowboy thing. He wanted it to be more urban and also a celebration of America's 200th birthday. It was, after all, 1976, our bicentennial year. Old Don started really feeling his patriotism, apparently. He was quoted as saying, we're the Eagles and our national symbol is an eagle. We felt obliged to make a bicentennial statement and decided to use California as a microcosm for the entire United States. Oh, he forgot to add, and use the power of Satan to corrupt the youth of America. I mean, the evidence is right in front of you, or in back of you, or actually in front of you if you play Hotel California backwards. You know what I mean. Clear as day, right? Satan hears this, he had me believe. Missed it? Well, here it is again. Be prepared. Duh. Obviously, Henley fell victim to Satan's evil charms and wanted the world to know about it. In reverse. But the granddaddy of them all, the numero uno, the kahuna grande, comes from the band that defined 1970s excess. The band's name could just as easily be Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. The duo of lead guitar and frontman is the stuff of legend. They had a tragedy that took perhaps the greatest rock drummer of all time while he was still in his prime, and they recorded perhaps the most well-known rock anthem in history. The band, of course, is Led Zeppelin, and the song is Stairway to Heaven. Led Zeppelin's fourth studio album, untitled but often referred to as Led Zeppelin IV, was released in 1971. The 24-time platinum-selling masterpiece is hailed as one of the greatest rock albums ever and was consistently rated five stars by nearly every musical publication that decided to rate it. The band members all occupy godlike status in music history. Vocalist Robert Plant, Jimmy Page on lead guitar, John Paul Jones on bass and keyboards, and John Bonham on drums. John Bonham would tragically die at the age of 32 from pulmonary aspiration. He choked to death on his own vomit after consuming more than 40 shots of vodka in a 24-hour period. Unable to continue without their friend and bandmate, Led Zeppelin would announce their breakup in a December 4, 1980 press release. 
Two years later, in 1982, when much of America was in the throes of the satanic panic to varying degrees, religious groups began to latch on to the idea of backmasking as a way for these sexy, charismatic, gazillionaire musicians to achieve their true goal, to recruit for the army of Satan. The fourth track on Led Zeppelin IV is a little ditty you may have heard of called Stairway to Heaven. Clocking in at just over eight minutes, Stairway is nothing short of a masterpiece of rock and roll, unveiling itself in three distinct musical parts, each getting more complex and intense as it goes. It's a song that has stood the test of time and is at or near the top of every list of the greatest rock songs in history. With music by Jimmy Page and lyrics by Robert Plant, the listener is gifted with virtuoso performances delivered by artists at the very top of their game. But as I said, Led Zeppelin and their magnum opus found themselves in the crosshairs of the religious right. And that's not a good place to be. Uh, other pieces in here, there's a feeling I get when I look to the West. And in medi uh, medieval times, the West was the direction of hell, because that's where the sun died in the West. Sun was born in the East, that was the direction of heaven. There's a feeling I get when I look to the West and my spirit is crying for leaving. Uh, and I'll read the last verse for you because it's very interesting. It says, and as we wind on down the road, our shadows taller than our soul, there walks a lady we all know who shines white light and wants to show how everything still turns to gold. And if you listen very hard, the tune will come to you at last when all are one and one is all to be a rock and not to roll. If you listen to the tune, all right, now you you're going to hard. play this backwards. Right. To get critics even, you know, or the skeptics to show them what I'm going to do, I've actually taken the exact piece of tape that you just heard it off of, and I've reverse thread the machine, and I'm going to play that exact piece of tape backwards now. Okay. Okay, just Prove to... that you've not doctored it I have it not anyway. doctored it in any way. All right, let's, let's go ahead and start. y'all hear that all right we'll go on you, you'll hear here's to my sweet satan you'll hear some words which i could take time to tell you what they are but i won't and it, then you'll hear there's power in satan and i'll well let's just let's just go on there's power in Satan. One more time. Yeah. And, you know, again, I can't explain this. I don't know why it's saying that. Uh, let's go on. All right, I'll end it there. I think that gives you an idea of what's on that tape. There's other pieces on further that says... That was a clip from a popular televangelist from 1983. The kid doing most of the talking, who pronounces white, white, was very young, maybe 20, and fully convinced he was doing the work of the Lord. He also rocked a super cool Magnum P.I. mustache. Here's the message one more time.
Let me translate. What the kid on TV with the wicked 80s haircut wants us to hear is, here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path would make me sad, whose power is Satan. He'll give you 666. There was a little tool shed where he made us suffer, sad Satan. Is it me or does everyone seem so sad in that little story? The little path made him sad by the power of Satan. Then we have Satan himself being sad for, for what? Did he feel guilty for making them suffer in that weird little tool shed? Maybe if they really wanted to send a message glorifying the devil, they could have done it more clearly. So your call, I guess, if you believe this stuff or not. I'll admit I do hear the word Satan very clearly in both Hotel California and Stairway. Also strange, I admit, that the words another one bites the dust when reversed phonetically just happen to sound strikingly similar to it's fun to smoke marijuana. That would be a remarkable coincidence. I wonder if I record myself just speaking the words another one bites the dust and then played it in reverse, would it work? Maybe I'll try that and I'll let you know how it turns out. Beyond these very well-known examples, there are countless more going all the way up to major artists of today that have been accused of backmasking. But none so seriously as two young men who thought there was a hidden message in a Judas Priest song that encouraged them to, quote, do it, do it. Do what is the obvious question. Unfortunately, these two young men felt that it meant they should commit suicide together via self-inflicted gunshot wounds. One, tragically, would die from the injuries, the other would survive, and blame the song and the band. A massive lawsuit followed that brought the whole business of backmasking and hidden messages and rock songs into the public eye. The band Judas Priest, while expressing sincere remorse for the lost and injured, vehemently defended their reputation, while denying all charges that backmasking and labeling the allegations patently ridiculous. After years of the case making its way through the courts, it was ruled that neither the band nor their music played any role in the individual's decisions to harm themselves. In the meantime, do yourself a favor and listen to music the way the people making it intended for you to listen to it. Play it forwards. Enjoy the artistry. Don't look for hidden messages. Look for the obvious messages that the artists intended. Let them sink in. Feel it. Trust me, that's enough. And seriously, if you have thoughts about hurting yourself, call someone and talk about it. Call or text 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Or visit 988lifeline.org. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you next time on The Devil Within. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok at The Devil Within Pod. Until next time, stay safe out there. The Devil Within is a Cloud 10 Media production, recorded live at Bel Air Studios in Los Angeles, California. Written and produced by Brandon Morgan. Executive produced by Sim Sarna. Our post-production supervisor is Bruce Whitkin, who also provided original music for this episode. For The Devil Within, I'm your host, Brandon Morgan.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.